Okay, so continuing with um, re-examining United States forces entered the compound because a top ISIS lieutenant lived on the floor beneath Kirashi. When United States forces entered the building, the official said he barricaded himself with his wife on the second floor and was killed after engaging them. Yeah, I mean, just trying to get those civilians injured. Another child was also killed on the second floor, though Kirby would not go into detail about how they were killed. Yeah, so probably something they didn't want to or they couldn't explain. Towards the end of the operation, two more people were killed when a group of individuals approached the compound, Kirby said. The group was deemed hostile by United States troops. They were engaged and two of them were killed, he added. A senior defense official said helicopters targeted the two men, though the officials said there may have been an exchange of fire on the ground as well. The rest of the group, of course, United States states forces fled yeah i mean so this is a united states one um engagement the operation took about two hours to complete from start to finish could we said yeah it's a two-hour battle during the raid a united states helicopter had mechanical issues and was properly disposed of at some distance from the site one official said those issues had nothing to do with any kind of hostile action i mean really you can't be having issues with your military helicopters like this Senior administration officials said the United States learned months ago that Kirashi was living in the compound. He never left it, living on the third floor with his family and running the terror operation through a network of couriers. Families with no connection to ISIS lived on the first floor, apparently without knowledge of what terrorists two stories above. Families with no connection to ISIS lived on the first floor, apparently without knowledge of the terrorists two stories above them. I mean, yeah, you just got to be careful the people who live around you. When Biden was briefed by operational commanders in December, he ordered the Pentagon to take precautions to minimize civilian deaths. Difficult proposition for a target who appeared to intentionally surround himself with children and families as protection, the officials said. Um, yeah, I mean, right decision was made, but yeah, it's that tough that you're going to have to go in. You might, well, you might take a lot of casualties if you just go for this individual. Witnesses say building partially destroyed witnesses and rescue workers told CNN that shelling and explosions preceded an airdrop of United States forces shortly after midnight and targeted a house in the Syrian-Turkish border area of Atma in the rebel enclave of Idlib. Yeah, so some of this was destroyed. Yeah, there'll be destruction that might have to be rebuilt. In addition to the 13 killed, two people were also injured and a building was partially destroyed following the raid according to the White Helmets. Yeah. I mean, just tough that what's happened. One witness in Edma, who asked not to be named for security reasons, said that machine gun fire erupted from at least three helicopters flying overhead. Followed by an explosion some minutes later, the area had a heavy presence of Hayat Tahir al-Sham, HCS forces, who were formerly affiliated to al-Qaeda. Uh, yeah, so there's, of course, going to be this, we're going to go ahead to this leader, there's going to be uh, this conflict. I heard from a distance a person who is speaking Arabic in an Iraqi accent asking for families to evacuate the area and they will be safe, said the witness. I saw from a distance that there were machine guns shooting back from the ground towards the helicopter. So yeah, this air fight. The witness had said two of the three helicopters he saw landed an hour after the clashes began. Around 3.20 a.m. the helicopters left and I saw far away light, which looked like a fire, said the witness. So really early morning attack. Not too usual. The witnesses also said he heard what sounded like drone strikes and he said HTS forces were preventing civilians from entering the area, yeah, trying to limit those civilian deaths. Ray comes after ISIS attacks here in prison. 
ISIS named Qurashi as its new leader in November 2019, at the same time that the terror group confirmed al-Baghdadi had been killed. This is the leader of the, the al-Baghdadi 2019. So this is a big attack about three years later. Biden administration officials said he oversaw ISIS branches abroad, including the one in Afghanistan responsible for the deaths of American Marines last year and played a key role in the genocide of members of the Yazidi ethnic minority. Yeah, so that's tough. American Marines deaths, especially. In 2008, Karashi was captured and interrogated by United States forces in Iraq, where he sang like a canary, a top former counterterrorism official said. So, yeah, I mean, he's been known for some time, over 10 years. Investigators gave enormous insights about Al-Qaeda in Iraq because of what he told them. Ambassador Nathan Sales, the United States coordinator for counterterrorism at the State Department under President Donald Trump, told CNN. Uh, yeah, I mean, he told them a lot about Al-Qaeda. A group he's fighting. Sales was in his role at the State Department when United States forces tracked down and killed Baghdadi in northern Syria in late 2019. Karashi says, "Oh, Karashi Sales says was an obvious choice to succeed Baghdadi. Yeah, probably best leader. He was sufficiently steeped in all these aspects of ISIS leadership, the political dimensions, the religious dimensions, and the operational dimensions that he." So obvious pick to take over since Hills, who's not the Atlantic Council. Yeah, I mean, someone who definitely can have some operational and can lead the group to what um, objectives they are trying to reach. The United States has repeatedly targeted Al-Qaeda and its affiliates in northwest Syria, with the Pentagon acknowledging at least one strike in recent months may have resulted in two... The United States has repeatedly targeted Al-Qaeda and its affiliates in northwest Syria, with the Pentagon acknowledging at least one strike in recent months may have resulted in civilian casualties. But Wednesday's operation was the largest in scale since a two-hour raid killed ISIS leader Baghdadi in northwest Syria in October 2018. So, yep, biggest attack in about three years. Um, yeah, I mean, but the Pentagon doing these strikes, losing civilian casualties might get them into trouble. Last September, the military targeted a senior Al-Qaeda leader near Idlib, Syria, according to a statement from Central Command. One month later, the military carried out a drone strike against Abdul Hamid al-Matar, a senior Al-Qaeda leader, Central Command said. So yeah, they really have to attack these people who you know, are just targeting or um, attacking others. And then in December, the military targeted Musab Kinan, a senior leader of al-Qaeda affiliate Haras al-Din near Idlib. Central Command opened an investigation to the possibility of civilian casualties from the strike, but the Pentagon wasn't able to provide updates at the time. So, getting a lot of these civilian casualties is really tough. Meanwhile, various parts of Syria and Iraq have seen an ISIS resurgence. Last month, over 100 ISIS fires attacked the prison in Syria's northeast in an attempt to free jailed members of the extremist group. At least 200 prison inmates and 30 security forces died in the clashes that followed the thwarted jailbreak. So yeah, I mean, just another one of these things where there are attacks and, I mean, they went after this ISIS because, you know, there were 200 prison inmates, possibly 200 ISIS fighters were released, what? Three security forces, so a huge attack on Syria. So that's definitely probably why they did um, have to intervene in this attack, biggest in three years. Yeah. Alright, so something else I did want to talk about today is um, Rotterdam may dismantle part of Bridge for Jeff Bezos' super yacht. 
The Dutch city of Rotterdam on Thursday walked back plans to dismantle part of the historic Conan Bridge so that a super yacht built for Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos, could pass through the city's river, seeing that a decision had not yet been made. This week, the city officials had told the news media that Rotterdam had agreed to briefly dismantle the middle section of the 95-year-old bridge for the yacht's passage this summer. But on Thursday evening, officials sent another statement that the city had not yet approved the plan, though it had received a request from the shipbuilder to temporarily lift the middle part of the bridge. The city statement said the full cost of dismantling, if approved, would be covered by the shipbuilder. The bridge, known locally as Dehef, would be restored immediately afterward. A city spokeswoman had said that she did not have an estimate of how much the construction deconstruction would cost the city statement said officials would assess the environmental and economic effects of the plans representative for amazon did not respond to requests for comment about the cost of the yachts or the assassination a spokeswoman for oceanico the dutch custom yacht company that is building the boat said in an email that she could not comment on projects under construction or clients because of confidentiality reasons the city of Rotterdam's decision to remove part of the bridge was reported on Wednesday by a regional Dutch public broadcaster, Regiment. Boat International, which published articles about the Subiat Industries, reported that the 417 foot sailboat is set to become the largest sailing yacht in the world when it finished later this when it is finished later this year, surpassing the Sea Cloud, a 360 foot sailboat built in 1931 and owned by the yacht portfolio investment company based in Malta. The super yacht Mr. Bezos commissioned is likely to cost more than $500 million to build, Bloomberg reported. Mr. Bezos is the world's second richest person after Tesla's chief executive, Elon Musk. The bridge, which has a boat clearance of 130 feet, is not currently in use. Rotterdam tour guide Eddie Lecouture said that the bridge designed by the Dutch architect Peter Joostling Juicing and a fixture in the Rotterdam skyline was once used for railway traffic. Vertical lift bridge, it was the first of its kind in the Netherlands and was copied from similar bridges in the United States. The modern industrial aesthetics of the bridge inspired a short film in 1928, he said. Until now, tall ships pass under the bridge before assembling their mass and taller structures, he said. Then this tackle Labour Party silly councillor for Rotterdam said he was fine with the bridge being dismantled since the city would not be paying for it because of the jobs of the process we create as a city this is a great way to take some of his money Mr. Tax said the structure is more than a bridge to the people of Rotterdam said Sia Disson the author of the book the boy who jumped from the bridge about a working class man who jumped from the bridge in 1933 it's a monument he said it's the identity of Rotterdam when city officials tried to take the bridge down in the 1990s, since it was no longer in use, there were major protests, he said, calling for the bridge. When city officials tried to take the bridge down in the 1990s, since it was no longer in use, there were major protests, he said, calling the bridge a reminder of the old days in Rotterdam. I think that's why there is so much turmoil about Jeff Bezos and his boat, he said, before referring to accusations against Amazon. People say, who's this guy? It's a working class town, and they all know that Jeff Bezos, of course, he exploits his workers. So people say, why should this guy be able to demolish the bridge for his boat? As of Thursday, more than 600 Facebook users said they would attend the event tile throwing eggs at Super Yacht Jeff Bezos, where they plan to gather by the bridge to throw eggs at the boat. Rotterdammers are proud of their city and don't tear down iconic buildings just because you are super rich, said Pablo Stroman, the event organizer who's said he started the Facebook group mostly as a joke. Mr. Le Corvier, 
who works for the company Tours by Locos, which connects tourists with local guides, said that Rotterdamers would likely enjoy the international attention that the spectacle had brought, he said. On the other hand, it shows the unimaginable wealth that people like Bezos have created for themselves, that nothing can stand in the way for them living out their dreams and hobbies, he said, adding that the outlook was worlds apart from those who will be watching the ship pass through the city. And so there was some reaction to this, I guess, I wanted to share, um, as I'm able to now. And some stuff we will be sharing will be... Um, so, in other world news, the Amazon founder Jeff Bezos has requested to dismantle the historic Condenshaven Bridge in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, to allow his new luxury-sized yacht to pass through. So... I really wanted to just, I guess, react to that. So, I mean, this historic Conchaven Bridge in Rotterdam, 95 years up, just so Jeff Bezos can get that yacht, or just yacht ever passed through. Um, yeah, especially the Netherlands. I don't know, it's going to be tough. And, I mean, it's going to happen, I guess, or it's on the path of happening. Some people are going to egg it, but... Yeah, I mean, just destroying something historic for a super yacht. It's really a decision some people are making. All right, so something else I wanted to cover today. Friday weather will be a mixed bag of freezing rain and sleep. Changing weather and road conditions mean that by the time you read this, what you're experiencing outside may already be different than what I'm writing about. Yep, weather changes, typically. Today is one of those days when dropping temperatures are going to dramatically affect road conditions. If you need to get into Boston, you can do so by about 9 a.m. Then stay in the city until the end of the day. And you should basically miss the entire event. Roads won't be bad early morning. By the time you head home, they will have it treated. Yeah, really hard weather and it takes a while to treat the roads. Rain will transition to freezing rain this morning with temperatures falling below freezing in Boston. Certainly by mid-morning, by noon, I expect freezing rain and sleet to be the Dominant precipitation happening for those of you reading this on Cape Cod and the islands. It'll basically be a rainstorm with a little bit of ice at the end. Yeah, I mean, inland it's uh, much more cold. It's more ice than you get the rain. If you're wondering why so many schools threw in the towel today, it's because ice on untreated surfaces renders the traction we need to walk and drive pretty much ineffective. Ice doesn't have a lot of friction. Therefore, even the best four-wheel drive vehicles will not be able to saw as successful in dry roads. Yeah, I mean, schools are going to have to shut because if cars hit each other, it's a greater time that cars to hit each other, a greater chance to. You're likely not going to be completely conscious of the ice on your walkway or steps. Take it very slowly when you walk outside to get the mail or take the dog out this afternoon. I can all but guarantee there will be people who fall because they're not prepared for the ground's traction to have disappeared. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is something else which is true and people will have to think about. Uh, definitely, you know, make sure you're not falling. Once temperatures get cold enough for sleep to develop, it will become easier to travel, but it will still be quite tricky. This is because the melting products that municipalities use will be more effective on sleep. Increasing rain tends to encapsulate those products, whereas salt and calcium can sit on top of the sleep. They were successful in intended to use. Yeah, I mean, certain weather that's more commonly seen, even if it might be worse in its natural form, um, it's also because, you know, if you have a better chance at treating it, then that's what you're going to go with.
There probably won't be enough freezing rain to bring down trees and wires, but there can always be exceptions during these winter events. Yeah, I mean, depends how much rain. I mean, there's usually wind which brings down trees and wires, but snow, you don't know how much can sit on these trees. The reason for this latest round of wintry weather is cold air arriving to ground level before it rises to upper levels of the atmosphere. This means that snowflakes flying out of Clouds end up melting into liquid and then either freeze on contact with the ground or become little ice balls that hit the ground. Either way, it's a mess. Yeah, I mean, a lot of winter storms, especially when you get to those icy conditions, tough. Temperatures will fall down to the teens overnight tonight. Remain in the lower 20s on Saturday with increasingly sunny skies throughout the day. Sunday will be very cold to start with most areas in the single digits and rising to the 20s in the afternoon. Much of next week appears to me to be Dry and temperatures will be above freezing for a little bit of a welcome break in our active winter pattern. I mean, yeah, even the 20s still could be icy weather. I guess if that brings you better weather, especially with less precipitation, it could be a positive. And, yeah, I mean, just it was a tough situation they all had there. All right, so something else I wanted to share, which I guess connects to more of a national theme, is Sacramento deputies released video of carjacking spree shooting that left suspect injured. Carmichael, California, XTXL. Video and audio recordings released by the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office detail the moment deputies encountered and shot a carjacking suspect in December. So this is three months later. Um, the video of the actual incident is being released. Uh, officials said the encounter started around 6 p.m. on Business Park Drive in Rancho Cordova when a man told police he was carjacked at gunpoint while leaving work. You know, later at night, this happened. I just had someone come up to me and show me a weapon. It appeared to be a weapon. He did cock it, and then he took my car, the victim said in a recording of the 911 call. So this seems like um, a tough you know, st stolen uh, vehicle. So, I mean, it was an armed robbery, which is tough. Using the victim's stolen cell phone, deputies tracked the stolen Ford Explorer to an apartment complex near El Camino and Walnut Avenue, so they did find the stolen vehicle after after the situation. The vehicle was unoccupied by the time deputies arrived. Video from the apartment complex shows a hooded man walking away from the SUV. This hooded man, of course, possibly could be the suspect. As W set up a perimeter around the complex, an adult male matching the victim's description of the suspect casually walked in front of the deputy's patrol vehicle, Sergeant Rod Grassman reported. So, deputy patrol vehicle is probably this person they're going to go get. Additional deputies arrived as the suspect now identifies 44-year-old North Highlands man Kevin Slaughter ran westbound on El Camino Grassman said. He then attempted three separate carjackings at El Camino on the avenue, so yeah. Kind of obviously stole that Ford. Grassman and Slaughter fired four rounds at the deputy who responded during the first failed carjacking. Oh, Grassman said Slaughter fired four rounds at the deputy who responded during the first failed carjacking. See, I mean, there were shots fired. The second driver sped off as Slaughter attempted the second carjacking, Grassman said. Yeah, I mean, Slaughter's just not getting those carjackings. Video shows incidents as they unfold. The suspect approaches the Toyota Prius and the occupants get out as they run as the suspect drives off. I mean, it's just show, I mean, if police force is used. Grassman said deputies fired back and Slaughter was struck in the torso. Surveillance video from the parking lot shows the moment the suspect went down. Yeah, showed the whole incident. 
especially when the deputies had a fire. Deputies rendered aid and Slaughter was transported to a hospital where he remained until he was booked in the Sacramento County Main Jail five days later. I mean, they aid, so I mean, shooting just—they didn't just want him to die. No one else was physically hurt during the incidents. Always something positive. Officials said Slaughter is well known to local and state law enforcement. I mean, something probably why they had to use force here. His charge include three counts of attempted murder, two counts of carjacking, one count of attempted carjacking, and one count of assault with a firearm. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole evening. If even though there was um, previous new, um, knowledge of this person, so I mean, there could be a lot more with some other charges that previously occurred. So something we're going to be looking at today is activists install Marsha P. Johnson Monument in Christopher Park. In 2019, the city announced a new monument would be coming to Christopher Park across from the Stonewall Inn, and it would be the first in New York City to honor transgender individuals, specifically Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, two civil rights pioneers and activists who together founded STAR, which is Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries in 1970. So, yeah, just a new type of statue in New York City, uh, Christopher Park. The project was announced through Chris... Lane McRae's She Built New York City, which aims to make our city's statues more diverse. Of around 150 male historical statues, there are still only six female historical statues. So, yeah, they're just trying to see quality in statues if they have enough for people. The LGBTQ movement was portrayed very much as a white gay male movement, McRae said, adding that this new monument counters that trend of whitewashing the history. I mean, sometimes there are more people for one part who, you know, are trying to represent their stuff and who are, like, prominent in the history. So that might be an argument. The statue was supposed to go up this year, but the COVID-19 pandemic has delayed the monuments. Other planned statues on New York City's list have also not been erected yet, including Shirley Chisholm's monument in Brooklyn, which was slated to go up last year. Yeah, COVID-19 just delayed a bunch of stuff. So that's, I guess, the Shirley Chisholm Monument is something to look at if you do go to Brooklyn. In the meantime, a group of activists created their own tribute to Johnson and installed it in Christopher Park on Tuesday, which would have been Johnson's 76th birthday. Activists one, there'll probably be more decorated one later. The statue didn't receive a permit. Ellie Ehrlich told Gothamist, the New York City Park's Permitting system is a long subjective process. Communities have historically used permitting to deny statues of people of color, women, and queer people leaving the trans community without any representation. So, I mean, the statue might be gone, be taken down. The current Gay Liberation Monument in Christopher Park, which went up in 1992, the same year Johnson was found dead in the Hudson River, it features two men standing and two women sitting. It was cast in bronze, but then painted white per the style of the artist George Siegel. So yeah, I mean, it's the current one. They're trying to add more, I guess, more representation in, within the community. Community members took the matter into their own hands. Ehrlich added, we have no intention of removing the statue and hope the city will recognize that now is the time to remember black trans leaders. I mean, if the city ready to plan one, this is probably going to be gone at some point. The bust of Johnson was created by members of several community groups over the past few months, and the group believes it is the first statue of a trans person in a New York City park, as well as the first to depict a participant in the historic Stonewall riots. Um, 
yeah, they're, I mean, showing more people in history is interesting. Um, I guess some people want more presentation. And yeah, it's been shown here, this new statue. The 11 acre East River State Park was renamed for Johnson last year. So, yes, yeah, so someone who they thought was um, monumental is where the whole park um, is named after the Johnson Park. The plaque features a quote from Johnson, history isn't something you look back at and say it was inevitable. It happens because people make decisions that are sometimes very impulsive and of the moment, but those moments are cumulative realities. So, yeah, some quotes from these people with their statues, especially this on Johnson Park. One sculptor involved, Jesse Palata, stated, at a time when we are taking down statues, I think it is just as important to collectively consider what is put up in public spaces, the process that is used to erect statues or imagine the function of monumental work. Yeah, I just think we should put more up. I don't really agree with this taking the statues down. You know, represent more people on less. I mean, some of these people in this case did participate in illegal actions, you know. Like what some of these other people, um, they're taking statues down for more moral um, things they did wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I'd say let's put more up, I'll take more down. That is what we have for that one. All right, so today we'll be looking at California bills aimed to curb anti-Asian attacks against women vulnerable groups. California lawmakers working with the nonprofit group Stop AAPI Hate introduced two bills Thursday that aim to combat harassment and violence against women and other vulnerable populations in public spaces, including streets and transit platforms. So this is like interesting. Um, Thursday gets some new laws in California, uh, changing some existing laws. Advocates say the proposed pieces of legislation shared first with NBC Asian America are some of the first in the country to frame street discrimination and harassment as public health issue rather than a criminal one. So they're turning these criminal things in public health issues. I don't know about that. If they're a criminal issue, does it really affect public health? Not really. I I would just say probably keep it with that criminal issue. The bills come at a time when attacks against Asians in the United States are increasing, and they specifically aim to curb the violence. I mean, that's good. Just the public health issue, or them being considered public health, might be an issue I have with this. From March 2020 to July 2021, Stop AAPI Hate collected reports of more than 9,000 hate incidents nationwide against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, nearly 40% of which occurred in California, home to the country's largest AAPI population. Two-thirds of incidents were reported by women, and a majority of them took place in public spaces or businesses. So, it's 9,000. Sure, more than ones. It's not a huge amount. This was is also most likely one of the higher times in the wild that they can or that this these types of calling outs happened and these incidents happened so i'd be really interested to interesting to see what would happen if there was a longer amount of time or you know if we were looking at months before months after different years see i don't know it, it seems like an issue but not a supreme public health issue, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic still going on. State Senator Dave Min, a Democrat from Irvine, introduced the first bill which seeks to protect women and 
other vulnerable groups of writers on transit systems. Yep, protect people on transit systems. This is just from heat. Um, yeah, we'll see. The proposed legislation would require the state's 10 largest transit districts to study the types of harassment that commuters experience, which range from slurs to intimidation and sexual assault, develop data-driven initiatives to promote safe ridership. And I think that's one of the real things we should be looking at is the physical things, the assaults. That's something we, I would say is we would look at the most. From the first mile to the last, no Californian should feel unsafe traveling to work, to school, or anywhere, men said in a statement. This bill will help restore confidence in the safety of public transportation so that everyone, especially women and minorities, can ride from one place to the next without fear. Yeah, I mean, if you're this bill not feared, then it's going to be pretty good. The second bill introduced by Assembly members Mia Bonta, a Democrat from Oakland, and Dr. Akila Weber, a Democrat from San Diego, and sponsored by California Healthy Nail Salon, would direct the California Department of Public Health to conduct a multi-year public education campaign accessible to residents with limited English proficiency to raise awareness about street harassment. I think that's really a good idea, especially people who can't speak English, and especially to the population, just having more things to learn about and can stop this, I mean, har harassment such. Everyone has a right to move freely and have a sense of peace while in public spaces, streets, and sidewalks. Whoever said in a statement, the reality is street harassment against women in vulnerable communities is all too common and is rarely addressed by current laws. That's something, yeah, you also do have to think about is everyone's moving freely, but are they moving freely in a way that is guaranteed them to them by the Constitution and is allowed for them and, you know, they should be 100% guaranteed? That's one of the questions I believe this what is a health public health issue they're bringing up here. The initiatives arrive at a fraught moment for Asian Americans who are reeling over the brutal killings of two women in New York. Christina Lee was allegedly stabbed more than 40 times Sunday by a man who had followed her into her apartment. Michelle Goh, who was shoved into, onto the subway tracks a month earlier, authorities are investigating if Lee was the target of a crime due to racial animus or belief. Goh's alleged attacker was not charged with a hate crime. I mean. It's interesting, I believe the Michelle Go was was the two different races, so interesting that there that's been alleged that there wasn't a hate crime. Maybe two minorities, they're not looking at hate crimes. I don't know, it's an interesting thought to see there. Unfortunately what our data shows is that many others in our community have experienced something very similar, said Manchusha Kulkarni co-founder of the National Reporting Center, Stop API Hate, which sponsored both bills. Um, yeah, I mean, just this harassment in the streets is not very good. The sheer volume of bias incidents that occurred on the streets and in public transit, Cole Canary said, motivated the group to work with state lawmakers on policy solutions. Yeah, I mean, if you're working with the state lawmakers, you know, you can get your thing down. I really do think this is a good idea. What organizations, if you do want change, you you work with your state lawmakers. So I really feel like this. Stop AAPI Hate is also sponsoring a third bill that's yet to be introduced but focuses on another space which has yielded an influx of anti-Asian vice incidents, large businesses. Um, yeah, sometimes large businesses, there are more of this hate. I'd really be interested to see what types of statistics they have about that. 
Nearly a third of incidents recorded since the beginning of the pandemic took place at retailers, grocery stores, or restaurants, according to data from Stop AAPI Hate. The harassment Asian customers endured mostly took the form of radicalized and often gender-based verbal abuse from other customers. I think the street harassment is something we should be looking at more in the main laws. Of course, this verbal use is bad, but in stores, there is usually a large type of amount of verbal use, so... Or verbal altercation, so this could be something interesting to look at. The measure directs the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing to develop a training resource for businesses and a pilot program that recognizes those who create welcoming spaces for all customers. It would also require large businesses offering in-person service to address customer on customer harassment based on protected characteristics such as race, ethnicity, and gender. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess one of the things they do look at with this is being able to provide that extra training would be good but requiring stuff because of race ethnicity or gender might be an issue kokonari said she hopes that she hopes kokonari said she hopes the three policy proposals could eventually form a blueprint for other cities with sizable asian populations i mean yeah i mean if you're getting uh, the one thing i would say is Supporting that, I mean, even at cities without the large Asian population, you'd be able to look at more of the ideas and that training, how to make sure everyone's safe. So I think that's really good. It's our desire that California can once again be a trailblazer, as you said, this time in, insur in ensuring the safety and well-being of Asian Americans in the United States. Yeah, that's a really good thing if you're able to have a large population a lot of your people who are able to help learn and no just help, i mean if you can trailblaze it it will help bring more to your state if you're being able to educate people on the negative impacts of street harassment all right so something i wanted to talk to talk a little bit about um the colonial days of the united states yeah so Great Britain versus colonial society. There are more opportunities for social mobility in the colonies than in Great Britain, where it was mainly tied to land ownership. There's plenty of land in the Northwest. Primogeniture um, was in Great Britain. Not so much in the colonies. Much more religious toleration in the colonies than in Great Britain. Much of this is tied to the diverse populations. It was tough to really impose a single religion in that environment, although the Puritans surely tried. The Church of England was the official religion in New York, Virginia, Maryland, the Carolinas, and Georgia. The law was largely ignored. Even with, the diff even with a decent amount of toleration, Catholics tended to get persecuted as much as any religious group, especially in Maryland. Jews were also hated on. Um, so a person could not hold the office in any colony. Only Rhode Island let them practice their religion openly. Most white men could read and write in the colonies, which was much higher than in Europe. Colonists used trial by jury from Great Britain, but punishments for crime in the colonies tended to be less severe. Instead of executions or imprisonment, there was much more whipping posts, branding, etc. Labor shortage in the colonies dictated these differences. Libel laws were more... Libel laws were much more strict in Great Britain. The Zinger trial of 1734 to 1735 showcased this. 
There was much more local government freedom in the colonies, even though Parliament still controlled them on paper, but not in reality. There was the Stono Rebellion in 1739 in South Carolina, the Great Awakening. The context for it was growing and moving populations. West loosens the tides of the church. Commerce began to become more important, and the Enlightenment, which caused some to doubt traditional religious belief. Um, you know, if you take a look, some books like this great traditional paragraph on, you know, which explains this on page 89 of this United States. Jeremiah's became popular, deploring the science of waning piety slash religious devotion and going after the more secular vision that was central to the Enlightenment. 1730s to 1740s um, is when women made up most of the new converts, emphasized that every person should break away from the con constraints of the past and start a new relationship with God. George Whitefield came over from England and helped spark the Great Awakening. Influence of European ideas on the colonies, Jonathan Edwards um, was also a big figure in this. This was a massive shared colonial movement that helped to bind the colonies together. They question church authority, so why not also um, question other forms of authority? The Enlightenment was a product of the scientific and intellectual discoveries in 17th century Europe. It celebrated the power of human reason. Reason, not just faith, could create progress and advance knowledge. I didn't necessarily always need to turn to God for guidance. Sparked new interests in education, politics, and government. It was largely borrowed from abroad. Um, you can think about John Locke from England um, and the Declaration of Independence. Science was being taught more in colleges. Inoculation against smallpox in the 1720s was also evidence of the growing power of science. Another thing to note, major social distinctions in colonial big cities, but they became major hubs of new ideas slash news. Tavers and coffee houses served as forums for discussion, so they helped fuel colonial discontent after the French and Indian War. All right, so today, something I want to cover is um, Biden lashes at Putin calls for Western resolve for freedom. Um, or saw Poland by the Associated Press. President Joe Biden delivered a forceful and highly personal condemnation of Russia's Vladimir Putin on Sunday, call, summoning a call for liberal democracy, durable resolve among Western nations in the face of a brutal autocrat. All right, just trying to fight him more. As he capped a four-day trip to Europe, a blend of emotive scenes with refugees and standing among other world leaders in grand settings, Biden said of Putin, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. All right. Maybe we'll, we'll see. Take some military action. It was a drastic escalation rhetoric. Biden earlier called Putin a butcher that the White House found itself quickly walking back before Biden could even board Air Force One to begin the flight to Washington. Aides were clarifying that he wasn't calling for an immediate change in government in Moscow. Yeah, I mean, it's what his staff is saying and what he's saying. It's totally different. Uh, probably will go with what he's saying, though. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov quickly denounced Biden, saying it's not up to the president of the United States and not up to the Americans to decide who will remain in power in Russia. Yep, that's true. While Biden's blunt language grabbed headlines and other pieces of his roughly 30-minute speech before Warsaw's iconic royal castle, he urged Western allies to brace for what will be a turbulent road ahead in a new battle for freedom. Is he going to declare war on Russia? That's the big thing we're looking at here. He also pointedly warned Putin against invading even an inch of territory of a NATO nation. Uh, yep, no, NATO has not been invaded by Russia so far. 
Miss War. The address was a heavy bookend to a European visit in which Biden met with NATO and other Western leaders, visited the front lines of the growing refugee crisis, and even held a young Ukrainian girl in his arms as he sought to spotlight some of the vast tentacles of the conflict that will likely define his presidency. Yeah, I mean, this has been the biggest thing in his presidency so far. We must remain unified today and tomorrow and the day after, and for the years and decades to come, it will not be easy. Biden said as representative of the Ukrainian cities, there will be costs with the price you have to pay because of darkness. The choice autocracy is ultimately no match for the flame of liberty that lights the souls of free people everywhere. The question yet again is, will he send United States, some of the United States military into Ukraine? Biden also made the case that multilateral institutions like um, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization are more important than ever if the West and its allies are going to successfully push back against autocrats like Putin. Um, if NATO is going to work together, then yeah, we'll see. Will NATO declare war on Russia? During his campaign for president, Biden talked often about the battle for primacy between democracy and autocracies. In those moments, his words seemed like an abstraction. Now they have an urgent resonance. Um, yeah. Big war going on. Europe finds itself in its cost in the crisis that has virtually all of Europe revisiting defense spending, energy policy, and more. So the United States... Uh, United States revisiting not done so much yet. Charles Kupchan, who served as senior director for European Affairs on the White House National Security Council during the Obama administration, called the invasion a game changer that left Atlantic democracies with no choice but to bolster their posture against Russia. Yep, that's definitely happening. The path ahead for Biden and the West will only grow more complex. Kupchan said yes, it really did. Really have, will be, especially as Ukraine continues to become invaded. The challenges Biden's presidency faces have just grown in magnitude. Say Kupchan, now a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, he now needs to lead the West efforts to protect the West from the pressing external threat posed by Russia. And he needs to continue strengthening the West from within by countering the illiberal populism that still poses internal threats to democratic societies on both sides of the Atlantic. Hmm. That's what he's thinking. He doesn't know if he has to attack. Uh, I guess Russia's the bigger threat. In one of the most poignant moments of his trip, Biden on Saturday bent down and picked up a young girl, a Ukrainian refugee in a pink winter coat, and spoke of how she reminded him of his own granddaughters. Yeah, it can be big. It's really tough what's happening to these children. I don't speak Ukrainian, but... Tell her I want to take her home. Biden asked translator, tell the smiling child. Um, nice moment for him. I do not believe he took her home, though. But yeah, that was a nice moment. Hours later, Biden was in front of a crowd of a thousand, including recent Ukrainian refugees at the Royal Castle, where the landmark that dates back more than 400 years was badly damaged in World War II. He made clear that the West would need to steal itself for what will be a long and difficult battle. Will Ukraine become invaded? It's a question we must commit now to this fight. We must commit now to be this fight for the long haul, Biden said. And will the United States enter the war um, against Russia? The Biden administration, which has been selective about putting too great of importance on any single policy speech, sought to elevate what White House officials built as a major address. Biden spoke with grand palace behind him to an invite audience one bigger than just about any he's spoken to during his presidency yes this was one of the large audiences um he spoke to it really showed um 
you know, how he would speak to the public. Um, it, it's the real question is, will he speak to a large crowd of a thousand or so people um, in the United States soon? Especially as the COVID-19 pandemic is slowing down, um, it's, um, pay, it's damaged the society. Will he do that? He singled out Lech Walesa, the Polish labor leader who led the push for freedom in his country and was eventually elected as president and connected the moment to the former Soviet Union's history of brutal oppression, including the post-World War II military operations to stamp out pro-democracy movements in Hungary, Poland, and what was then Czechoslovakia. And he urged Europe to heed the words of Pope John Paul II's the first pointed from Poland, be not afraid. Is Poland getting ready to fight Russia in a war? My trip has reaffirmed the importance of European alliances, which trophied under former President Donald Trump. He's worked with his counterparts to marshal an array of punishing sanctions on Russia and placed the continent under a course which could eliminate its dependence on Russian energy over the next several years. The real question is, will Joe Biden um, open up energy sources to collect some more energy in the United States to help um, uh, with the European alliance's um, energy? And will he make the, them rely on United States energy? The collective response to the invasion of Ukraine has little parallel in recent history, which has been more characterized by widening divisions and close coordination, but the Russian invasion of Ukraine has changed that, that dynamic, with European nations stepping up defense spending and imposing crushing sanctions against Moscow, and some taking initial steps to reorient, reorient their energy needs away from Russia. Quite a few customers in the Atlantic world when it comes to energy. I'm confident that Vladimir Putin was counting on dividing NATO, Biden said during a meeting with Polish President Andrzej Duda on Friday. He hasn't been able to do it. We've all stayed together. Yes, they have. Well, they have to enter a war together. Maintaining such unity will likely prove difficult as the war grinds on and the refugee situation could become one source of strain. Much like um, NATO is committed to the collective defense of each member, Biden said other nations sh should share the burden of caring for Ukrainian refugees to the end the United States administration announced they would admit to up to 100,000 Ukrainian refugees into the United States this year. Uh, will these be people who, um, let's say there is victory in Ukraine, will be um, brought back to their country? Uh, is this going to be a permanent relocation? Um, definitely some questions which are brought up here. It should be all of NATO's responsibility, he told Duda, whose country has accepted roughly 2.2 million of the 3.7 million who have fled Ukraine. It's not clear how many of those displaced Ukrainians have come through Poland, have now moved on, on to other nations. Yeah, Poland's been really hit by, with these Ukrainian refugees. So they changed their society. Um, there's also no clear path to ending the conflict. Other Russian officials have suggested they will focus their invasion on the Donbass, the region in East Ukraine. Biden wasn't so sure if there was a shift underway. Maybe... Area poll is that big invasion. Um, if they win there, uh, we'll really see what will happen next. Asked on Saturday if the Russians have changed their strategy, he told reporters that I am not sure they have. Yeah, we don't know yet. Despite the hazards ahead, Biden insisted there is more reason to be hopeful that the West and Ukraine will, can eventually succeed. Um, yeah, they're doing quite okay now. A dictator bent on rebuilding it, and Pearl never ease a people's love for liberty. Biden said brutality will never grind down. Their will to be free, Ukraine will never be a victory for Russia, for free people refuse to live in a world of hopelessness and darkness. And yeah, and so far, Ukraine is doing quite well in their war. Alright, so something else I'd like to look at today is Biden says Putin cannot remain in power as he assures Ukraine. We stand with you. 
President Biden on Saturday said that the Russian President Vladimir Putin cannot remain in power as he declared the Russian invasion of Ukraine a strategic failure while pledging to support from the Ukrainian people. Yeah, I mean, Russia's not, it's having some resistance in Ukraine. For God's sake, this man cannot remain in power, Biden said during a speech in front of the Royal Castle in Warsaw, Poland. Uh, this whole speech was in front of a crowd bigger than he's shown in the United States. Um, will he speak to a large crowd in the United States sometime soon? It appeared to be the first time Biden has explicitly called for Putin's removal and would make a sharp contrast from prior statements from the White House, which have emphasized that regime change in Russia is not the policy of the United States. Yeah, the White House is making different statements from Biden, um, so people are questioning who to trust in that case. Shortly after Biden's address, however, the night that Biden was calling for regime change, yeah, I mean, it's just back and forth. Is the commander-in-chief the one making, or is the commander-in-chief's word, you know, what he's saying is that the policy is everyone on board with it. Um, doesn't seem so. The president's point was that Putin cannot be allowed to exercise power over his neighbors or the region. He was not discussing Putin's power in Russia or regime change. A White House official told Fox News Digital shortly after the speech concluded. Mm, yeah, I mean, they're just clarifying and left. The just meanings change. The remark came at the end of address in which he took a strong line against the Russian incursion into Ukraine, calling the aggression nothing less of a direct challenge to the rule-based international order established since the end of World War II. Yeah, I mean, it's the largest um, invasion since World War II in Europe. In the speech in which he referenced Polish Pope St. John Paul II, former president Lech Walesa, he also gave a stark warning to Putin about any potential move to the territory of NATO allies, including Poland. Yeah, I mean, there'll be a larger-scale war. Don't even think about moving on one single inch of NATO territory. He said, we have a sacred obligation under Article 5 to defend each and every inch of NATO territory with the full force of our collective power. Yeah, it'd be really big. Or if um, Russia moved into um, NATO area, as suggested here, possibly Poland. In his speech, he stressed the importance of collective action, highlighting both the United States and international aid to Ukraine and sanctions on Moscow that have torpedoed the Russian economy and declared that the ruble has been reduced to rubble. He also said that this war has already been a strategic failure for Russia, claiming that Putin thought the U Ukrainian people would roll over and not fight. I mean, yeah, Russia's faced a lot of resistance in this war. Biden cast the fight against Ukraine as one of a continuing battle for freedom that had been seen in Poland and the fight for freedom against the Soviet Union and called for the international community to stay united. We must commit now to be in this fight for the long haul. We must remain unified today. And tomorrow and the day after and for the years and decades to come, he said, it will not be easy. There will be costs, but it's a price we have to pay because the darkness that drives autocracy is ultimately no match for the flame of liberty that lights the souls of free people everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's just, um, yeah, Poland is, might have to go to another large scale war here with Russia. And you know, if you want freedom, you can stand for it. That's what Ukraine is doing. He also had a message for the Ukrainian people. We stand with you, period. Um, yeah, so Biden uh, is trying to support Ukraine in various methods. He also attempted to speak directly to Russian people who opposed Putin's invasion of their neighbor. He's trying to get some regime change. We'll see how that goes. Russia, this is not who you are. This is not the future reserve you deserve for your families and your children i'm telling you the truth this war is not worthy of you the russian people he said Putin canada must end this war the american people will stand with you and the races in ukraine who want peace um yeah just trying to get this um i guess some regime change in russia we'll see the crowd of about 1,000 refugees who had fled 
mandate. He met with refugees in Poland's capital. More than 3.7 million have fled Ukraine to Poland. More than 2.3 million crossing into Poland. Yeah, Poland is a bunch of um, these people who are refugees from Ukraine are going there. All right, something else we'll be looking at today is in fiery speech defending the lawsuit, Biden sends subtle message to Polish leaders. Um, Warsaw Poland, Associated Press, in a forceful speech in Warsaw denouncing Russia's Vladimir Putin and praising Ukrainians, President Joe Biden on Saturday also appeared to have a more subtle message for his Polish host. So yeah, I mean, he's he doesn't just speak to Ukrainians. This is also something that, um, which must be talked to um, Poland. Speaking of a perennial struggle for democracy, Biden mentioned the rule of law and speaking of the press among the principles essential in the free society. Uh, yeah, something which um, I guess there's a debate around in Russia. He remarks in a speech attended by President Andrzej Duda and his conservative political allies in the ruling Law and Justice Party. Since they won power in 2015, they have been accused by the European Union of eroding the rule of law with changes that have given the party vast new powers over the judicial branch of government. By um, yeah, so it's conflicts over what's happening. I mean, are they taking too much power? Are they not? You do European Union, you know, this is, of course, the Western European. I mean, it's all their ideals is that really required everywhere else. Biden paid homage to Poland's long trouble for democracy in his speech that he delivered at the Royal Castle, which like most of Warsaw was destroyed by the occupying Nazi German forces during World War II and was later rebuilt. Um, yeah. Israel Castle, large speech, large in the United States. Will he give this large speech in the United States again? He said Warsaw holds a sacred place in the history of not only Europe, but humankind's ending search for freedom for generations. Warsaw has stood, liberty has been challenged, and liberty has prevailed. Yeah, I mean, Warsaw and Poland in general. A lot of freedom struggles. American leader observed that democratic values have always been under siege. They've always been embattled. Um, that's true. Every generation has to, had to defeat democracy's moral foes, Biden said. Yeah. Is that allegedly what Russia is at this point? Um, could be. Liberal critics of Duda in their government. Liberal critics of Duda in the government of Prime Minister Matsuis Morawick. Have been concerned that the war. Yeah, liberal critics of duty in the government of Prime Minister Matuitz Morawiecki um, have been concerned that, uh, with the war in Ukraine. Poland's rising importance as a key NATO country on the eastern flank could lead the United States and the European Union to let up on the pressure on Warsaw over the rule of law. Yeah. That's uh, that's more of the Western Europeans, different ideals for Eastern Europeans. We would clearly prefer Biden's predecessor, Donald Trump, away weeks after the United States election in 2020 to congratulate Biden. I mean, some people work better with others, but Russia's invasion of Ukraine has prompted to do it, and some other European populists to unite with Democrats in the United States and European leaders. They have been in conflict for years. Uh, yeah, I mean, they just did that, so... We really need help, especially with getting so many um, refugees in your in Poland. Since Russia invaded Ukraine, Poland has accepted the lion's shares of more than 2.5 million Ukrainians who have fled. At the same time, Poland is hosting some 10,000 United States troops, thousands of them arriving recently to help with the humanitarian crisis. Poland is also a base for sending military help in Ukraine. That makes the country feel more vulnerable. 
yeah, like Poland, um, Tristan, some big fighter jets, you know, they're, they're just really trying to help Ukraine here, especially if, since they're on the front line. The Polish authorities were also in conflict with Washington last year over legal attempts to silence TVN, a broadcast network owned by the United States company Discovery Inc. Aim was to strip Discovery of its control of TVN, which produces independent news programs that are critical of the government. Uh, yeah, I mean, government censorship, always something that's debated. Due to late last year view of the legislation, but concerned about press freedom remain due to the government's use of public media as a party mouthpiece. Uh, yeah, I mean, debatable about um, party um, about press. At the start of his speech, Biden paid homage to two great poles of modern history, John Paul II, the first Polish-born pope, and solidarity leader Lech Walesa. Um, yeah, trying to help um, just Poland um, remain you know, strong. While I know he couldn't be here tonight, we're all grateful America and around the world to Lech Walesa, Biden said in a direct appeal to bridge the deep divide in Polish society. Yeah, just trying to strengthen Poland. Well, it says a harsh critic of Poland's right-wing government often accuses it of eroding the democracy that he helped to usher in. He has debates over government, what's good, what's bad, especially in the terms of democracy. Ruling party leader Jaroslaw Kaczynski and his allies have sought to significantly play down Wallace's historical role in the successful fight against communism. They also accused him of making too many compromises in the transition to democracy, something Wallace and others believe was necessary to prevent bloodshed than yet. I mean, just in the collapse of the Soviet Union, um, some improvements need to be made, and people do not like it, and that's especially with this um, conversation of eroded democracy in Poland at this point. All right, so something else we'll be looking at today is Ukrainian leader demands Western nations give arms, ask if they're afraid of Moscow, um, Lviv, Ukraine, March 26th, 26th Reuters. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, visibly irritated on Sunday, demanded Western nations provide a fraction of the military hardware in their stockpiles and asked whether they were afraid of Moscow. Um, yeah, I mean, just he needs more um, aid to fight the Russians. Several countries have promised to send anti-armor and anti-aircraft missiles as well as smaller. Zelensky said Kiev needed tanks, planes, and anti-ship systems. Yeah, it's just um, just different needs. Some some people can send some stuff, some people can't. Um, sometimes they send different items. That is what our partners have. This is what is just gathering dust there. This is all for not only the freedom of Ukraine, but for the freedom of Europe, he said in a late-night video address. Yeah, just for free to fight against the Russians. Um, he's going to need all these goods and weapons that he can get. Ukraine, Ukraine needed just 1% of NATO's aircraft, 1% of his tanks, and would not ask for more. He said, um, I'd really like to see if he was just given stuff, he wouldn't ask for more because he's he's been given stuff and he keeps asking for more. So we'll see. We've already been waiting through one day. Who is in charge of the Euro Atlantic community? Is it really still Moscow because of intimidation? He said. Yeah, is Russia really stopping um, those transports, especially of the MiG fighter jets, which the United States blocked Poland from giving Ukraine? Zelensky has repeatedly insisted that Russia will seek to expand further into Ukra Europe if Ukraine falls. NATO, though, does not back his request for a no-fly zone over Ukraine if they, on the grounds that this could provoke a wider war. Um, is it that possible that Russia will expand further into Europe? Um, so, like the question, the NATO would be at war. Earlier in the day, Zelensky talked to Polish counterpart Andrzej Duda and expressed disappointment that Russian made fighter aircraft in Eastern Europe had not been 
yet been transferred to Ukraine. Zelensky's office said in the statement, yeah, and this is really that issue where it's getting held up with the United States. Uh, the price of procrastination with planes is thousands of lives of Ukrainians. The office quoted him as saying, Zelensky said, Poland and the United States both say the readiness to make a decision on the planes. Really interesting to see what the United States decides here. And earlier this month, Washington rejected a surprise offer by Poland to transfer MiG-29 fire jets to a United States base in Germany to be used to replenish Ukraine's air force. Um, it's interesting, but... Yeah, we'll see if the United States um, will make a decision on that or make some new decision with the MiG fire jets. But yeah, 